0: So often, there's that. Why are you doing this to yourself when in actuality, it's not a disorder of choice? And if you can validate, I'm really sorry you're going through this, and I'm here to walk next to you, I'm here to to love and support you, that's the game changer.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 39 of the Mad Happy Podcast. Just Mason here, uh, no payment for today's episode. I had the privilege a few weeks back uh, speaking with an amazing woman, uh, Joanna Candel, who is the CEO and founder of the Alliance for Eating Disorders Foundation. Really awesome conversation. I mean, there's so much synergy between eating disorders and mental health. I mean, eating disorders are really a part of the mental health conversation um, and haven't really been included as much. And even me personally really did not know much about eating disorders and was super awesome to talk to Joanna. Um, she herself has, has kind of struggled with that, which is what brought her into starting the Alliance and has really dedicated her life to eating disorder awareness and to really saving lives in that space. So super cool for me just to learn a lot from her. And then obviously there's so many ties and, and connections between eating disorders and mental health and addiction and recovery and all these different things. So I think it's a really, really awesome episode, uh, whether you feel like you can directly relate to eating disorders or not. Uh, But I think you guys are going to love it. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Please enjoy the show with Joanna Candell. Joanna Candell, thank you so much for joining.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Huge fan of the of the podcast and just of of the line, the brand, um, and just really excited to talk about something that oftentimes people don't necessarily want to talk about.
1: Totally. I mean, it, it's been great. Uh, we've been working together for a few months now. I know it's with, with some content on the Local Optimist. You actually came on and we interviewed you a few months back, um, and then we're also partnering up for your guys' big weekend in February that we can talk about a bit later. But I want to start just with you kind of before the Alliance and everything that you started, just a bit about your story, um, where you came from and and where you grew up and and kind of how you got into this space uh, to begin with, if you wouldn't mind taking us a bit on that journey.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. So I came to the work that I do uh, because of, of lived experience, because of my, my, my personal experience with eating disorders. So I was actually born and raised in South Florida. I'm one of those very few like native Floridians. It feels like everyone knows someone who lives in Florida, but very rarely do they actually are they born in Florida. I am one of those, those humans. And you know, truthfully, there's there's so much to like unpack when it comes to eating disorders. But but things that that I I most want people to know is that you know eating disorders are biologically based brain illnesses. And the reason why I bring that up is when I talk about myself, I have to talk about some of my lineage, my my history. So um, my father is actually a Holocaust survivor, and my mother um, emigrated from from France when she was. Um, younger um they both came from very poor backgrounds my father obviously has a lot of trauma with his experience and when they had me, they wanted to give me every opportunity that, that they never had. Mm. And I know that many people that are probably listening to this podcast can relate to that, right? Like it's, you know, a lot of first generation, second generation, um, you know, obviously as a, as a parent now, I want to give my kid every opportunity that I didn't have. And so there was a lot of pressure on me to succeed, to be the most perfect version of myself. And so between the fact that, you know, eating disorders did run, in my families, the fact that um, I have experienced anxiety since as long as I can remember, I operate in two levels, black or white, all or nothing. It basically set me up to be um, a person that would ultimately develop an eating disorder. So Mm -hmm. uh, my eating disorder started when I was 11 and a half. I was actually a professional ballet dancer. Um, I started dancing professionally really young. Um, And, you know, I went on a simple diet, just like, The majority of people in this in this world. And for me, because of that perfect storm of things that that were there, Mm -hmm. my simple diet actually turned into an almost deadly eating disorder. And I struggled with my eating disorder for almost for over, excuse me, 10 years, and it came very close numerous times to losing my, my battle. And, you know, that's such a big, misnomer about eating disorders is that they're a disorder of choice and of vanity and they're not that big of a deal right. um, but in fact every fifty two minutes someone in this country dies as a direct result of their eating disorder it has the second highest death rate of all psychiatric disorders just second to opioid addiction wow. um, and so really that was my story and you know I ultimately had to give up dancing because I was so sick and you know, I thought that I was going to dance forever. It was my my love, my passion. And as I started to be on the the, the road to recovery, um, which was very messy and very uh, difficult, I realized that what I really wanted to do was give back and Mm. pay it forward and make a difference. So 21 years ago, I founded the organization and here I am today.
1: That's amazing. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I. It's funny because one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you was because I personally have struggled with a lot of mental health issues. Um, Can't relate to eating disorder at all because that's something that I've never personally struggled with. But I know so many of our listeners and so many supporters of our brand. Uh, it's something that's really prevalent for them. And, and I know that they express to us a lot. Uh, they wanted to hear us talk about it more. So I was like, we got to get you on and, and kind of have this conversation. You know, I I encourage people. Uh, we launched a series on the local optimist called Body Talk. That's all about uh, this stuff. And when you were just sharing your story, I was thinking like, there's so much I can't relate to you on, but there's also so much I can relate to you on in, in terms of really lived experience, having brought me to this work as well uh, through my Upbringing, struggling with with depression and and addiction and kind of all of these things, um, and it really brings me back to a point of regardless of whatever you're struggling with or or what the illness or disease might be, right? That it's really the same guiding principles that that bring us together in terms of recovery and community and sobriety and all of these things. So I think there is a lot that that we can get into and, and can really relate to each other on. Um, I know you said that you started struggling with this at eleven years old. Um, I don't imagine that as an eleven year old girl you're able to identify that at the time. Um, I'm curious when you kind of knew that it was a problem or even how you knew that it was a problem because i think that's something that we talk about a lot too of knowing you could be anxious but to know what anxiety is is an important step in understanding that you're feeling anxious um so what was that like for you
0: yeah, you know, I mean for me and, and and not to share my age even though I am 43 and I totally own it. Um, <laughs> you know, thir- over 30 years ago, there weren't conversations like this happening about eating disorders. The only mm. conversations they had was like, you know, the lifetime after school movies or the ones that you would watch in PE class. And there was there used to be a show years ago called Growing Pains that was like my favorite. And there was um, a character, um, an actor, Tracy Gold, who had experienced an eating disorder as well. And she actually left this, the series uh, to get help for her eating disorder. Mm. And I really didn't know that I was experiencing an eating disorder at the time. I, I don't actually know when in my struggle I was like, oh, this is an eating disorder. Right. But I did know that once I did figure out that it was, I started voraciously reading everything that I could about it. And I would like to tell you it was so I would garner awareness um, so that I could know how to help myself but if I'm being totally transparent, I believe that's how we should be. It was how I could learn how to become better at my eating disorder. So mm. obviously we've come a long way in the the sharing of inf- information. At that time it was like, this is how many calories I ate, this is what I was these are the rituals I used to do. We know that we do not do that anymore. But you know, back then, so I would find out like what someone like what was like their lowest weight or what they were doing, and I would be like, Well, I can get there. And thank goodness we've come so much further. But you know, the one thing that I will share with you is even though for a long time, I didn't know it was an eating disorder. What I find so fascinating when I talk to other humans that experience eating disorders is how we sort of default to doing these behaviors, whether it's restricting or binging or binging and purging and the thought process, it's all so similar And yet, there there wasn't like a roadmap. There wasn't like instructions. But we all tend to do very similar behaviors. And I think, in the idea of like addiction and eating disorders and you name it, you know, it's not about the substance. It's not about the eating disorder. They're maladaptive coping mechanisms that we do as a way to maladaptively cope with the depression, the anxiety, the trauma. And yeah, they're all like the modality is different. But if you look like under the water, if you look at like the ice, like under the iceberg, right?
1: Mm-hmm. There's so
0: much of the similar together. So I think that, you know, to go back to the question is, even though I, I I might've garnered awareness a little bit later in my struggle, I might've known something was wrong. I didn't know it was an eating disorder. It's uncanny how all folks experiencing all types of eating disorders, mental illness, substance, whatever. We all do very similar things.
1: Yeah, it's uh. It reminds me, I forget who said it, but eating disorder and, and addiction and things like that, people look at them as the problem. But as you said, they're really the solution to a deeper problem. And more often than not, that problem is circumstance that we largely have no control over, right? Like we talk about that all the time too, of, of we kind of just get dropped into this world with parents who are however they are, that have parents who came from whatever experiences they came through and, and that energy um, and trauma and experience is really transferred to us. And then we're kind of just dealt this hand of cards and it's like, Hey, figure it out. (laughs) And I think like most of us will spend the rest of our lives kind of unpacking that. Um, And I could really relate to what you were saying about when you first started reading and discovering and all those things, you know, humans are such creatures of habit that I was even thinking about my own depression and, and, becoming such a fixture of just how i felt and how i lived that really convincing myself in in my late teens and early 20s that like this is just a part of you dude like Mm -hmm. you're just a depressed kid and like this is almost your safety zone or like what makes you you or like i i really got to a place where i thought that i would never not feel depressed and had really like used it to empower myself or like be proud of it or like all these things just because I was so trapped in ever thinking that it couldn't be a part of my life. And I think it's important for people to understand that it not only is it possible, but that like it, it will get to a point where it will catch up with you. And, and, and I almost lost my battle like a couple times as well. So I can also relate to you there. And like sooner or later, something is going to happen that that finally forces you to confront it and and so much of what we're passionate about here is trying to just start the conversation or inspire someone in some way to just reach out or book that first therapy session or just hit up a friend uh in some way before you get to that breaking point i think one of like the stats that really makes me the most sad is, is that like, it's an average of like 11 years before someone seeks help or treatment from like their first sign of, of a mental health illness. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's Mm -hmm. really a big part of of everything that we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, I love so much of, of what you just said. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that kept me trapped in my eating disorder for so long is that I really believed that it was who I was, it was my identity. And, you know, I think that as such a fierce advocate of, of mental health in general, you know, I spend so much time on a federal level m- ensuring that you know mental mental health is treated on par with physical health because I think even to this day, with as far as we've gotten, there's still this idea that because it's above your neck, you should be able to fix it on your own, right? Mm-hmm. Like we would never tell the same things that we tell to people that have anxiety, depression, substance use, eating disorders, you know, well just you could if you really wanted to you did, you you could do it like if you didn't want to be sad anymore you could not be sad or i'm sure you've heard this i heard it a million times like you have so much to be to be to be happy about why are you not happy and it's i think we have to really remember that you know physical health mental health they are all health you would never tell someone with cancer, "You have to fix your cancer on your own, will it away." Or um, if someone with diabetes, "Ameliorate your, you know, your, your, your um, blood sugars without insulin." And yet, we are still in 2022 saying that and doing that um, to, to folks that have mental illness. And I will say that my eating disorder, eating disorders, substance use, all of that is not who you are. It's what you are going through, and. That was such a turning point for me personally because it was so scary to know what my life would be outside or beyond my eating disorder. Because I'm like, who am I without my eating disorder? Because for good or for bad, it was helpful. Like mm-hmm. it, it, if it wasn't helpful, it wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have maintained it. You know, millions of folks, the 29 million Americans that are experiencing eating disorders would not be active in their eating disorder if it wasn't helpful and so we need to be aware that it has it's it's a it's it's a coping tool a bad coping tool but it's a coping tool and again it's not who you are it's what you're experiencing because i will tell you it'll be so much not that it's easy by any means but it will be easier if you can view it as what you're going through as opposed to who you are
1: right it, yeah it's not who i am it is really just a symptom of something else and i mean Mental health, it's invisible, right? So like it it's so hard for people to really understand and see. And, and we talk about the physical health connection all the time of if someone breaks their leg, you can see that they have a broken leg and, and they're going to go to the doctor and they're going to get surgery and they're going to get that taken care of immediately. But someone who might have depression, it's a lot harder one to open up and, and tell people about that. And then even what you were saying of people not feeling... Like they have permission to express their mm-hmm. sadness or things mm-hmm. that they might be struggling with because they have so much to be grateful for, or because like that narrative has really been like preached a lot, like uh, for a lot of people. And I'm curious for you. I know that you said that you were struggling with this for over ten years before you first went and and seeked help. Was there kind of a moment for you where you came to and and kind of realized how serious this was and really needed to get help? And and what did that kind of initial motivation towards recovery look like?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think what's so scary about, you know, for, for individuals experiencing eating disorders, I can only really speak from from that angle is this invincibility that not me, other people, I will be fine. Everything's gonna be fine. And on that flip side is really that that feeling of hopelessness that and if something does happen, I don't really care. Like it was sort of that vacillating between the two. You know, I had this moment um, when I stopped dancing. I was actually living in Orlando. I had been been dancing with a ballet company up there, and I was like, okay, I, I don't. I'm 19 years old. I never plan to go to college. Who am I? What am I doing? And I had this moment of the only thing that I know about just as much of I as my ballet is my eating disorder. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to become a therapist that specializes in the treatment of eating disorders. I'm going to help other people. I was no place to help others. I'm going to be honest with you, but I was like, that's my people pleasing my, you know, wanting to make a difference. Um, and so I I enrolled in, in the local university there and about two and a half years into it, because I actually started using school in the same way that I had used my, my eating disorder to maladaptively cope or not cope. Um, so I was taking eight classes a semester. I was, you know, escaping in any way possible and I had this moment where I had applied to PhD programs. And I remember this feeling of the walls closing in on me. And I had this internal narrative that said, I'm not going to survive. I'm just not going to survive. And I had this moment where my fear of getting better was a little bit less than my desire to see what was on the other side of that door. And, you know, uh, so often, I think I was looking for that, like, you know, that that bottom level that that, you know, that rock bottom space. Mm-hmm. And there's this amazing human that comes to one of our support groups that, that said so beautifully several months ago, she's like, my rock bottom is when I stopped digging. And that was so, so much my story of like, I picked up the phone and I called my parents and I said, you know, mom and dad, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Those were my my words at the time, and I have to tell you that I thought that was going to be it. I was going to be cured. I was going to go back, and that was the furthest from the uh, truth. Where I was so scared. I yes, I had the motivation. I didn't have a hundred percent motivation. I don't think anybody's a hundred percent motivated to recover from anything. I had so much fear. I had so much anxiety. Because in my mind, you know, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And for Mm -hmm. me, not having that security blanket of my eating disorder was so scary. And so I remember calling, um, a local therapist and she, um, didn't specialize in eating disorders, but I still wanted to go and see her. And, and I walked into her office and I shared my story a little bit of it with her. And she said to me, she's like, Joanna, I'm so proud of you for being here. And I need to tell you that you will be, be struggling with this for the rest of your life. And I understand what she was saying. You know, there's, there's so many differences between like eating disorders and substance use recovery. One is abstinence based. One is not, well, for some people it's abstinence based, I should say and you know there, there's there's that nev- that there's that narrative that you'll always be recovering and whatever her motivation was what i heard is this makes no sense like you shouldn't even do it it's hopeless and so i left there and i it basically gave me carte blanche to continue to do whatever I was doing because I was like, it's not going to get better, so why even try? And ultimately, for me, I was able to finally find a therapist who specialized in the treatment of eating disorders, and that's really where my healing began. And And it was so messy. It was one step forward, three steps back, and when you, when you deal with... In all black and whites, in all extremes, in all perfectionisms, that is not okay. I approached my recovery the same way I approached my eating disorder, in that all or nothing. And so every time I would have a trip in a fall, you know, the eating disorder, that negative voice would be there to say, see, you can't do it. And it would almost give me this ability to continue to act out because it was like, I can punish myself for doing terribly and then inevitably I would pick myself up and dust myself off and I would keep on putting one foot in front of the other. And and that's how it was for a while and I think that a lot of my, my personal recovery went so much slower because I didn't have access to care. Because insurance didn't cover, um, you know, a higher level uh, treatment for my eating disorder because my family didn't have the resources to pay out of pocket. Um, And ultimately for me, I did find my, my recovery and it wasn't perfect. It wasn't linear. It was messy and it was the hardest thing I ever did, bar none. And it was the best thing.
1: Yeah, my my favorite thing about everything you just said was really how messy and not perfect it is because I think for people who are still struggling or people who I talk to who are trying to get better, it's a very like solution-oriented mindset of like I do X, Y, and Z and these things happen and then I'm just better. And, And to be honest, that's even kind of what my mindset was early on in my recovery was always just like, can I be motivated enough from... This relationship failing, or or me acting out, or whatever happened to just fix myself, win the girl back, and then I'm back on my way. And and I had my rock bottom uh, a little over three years ago in the summer of 2018, and I got sober and I went to treatment, and it was like the most motivated that I've ever been. Um, and I came out and I was going to meetings and and an outpatient program and everything, and I got to a point where. I felt like I was doing okay and I felt like I was like back in a way and I I still hadn't fully turned it over in the sense of like this is going to be a part of your life for the rest of my life and I didn't relapse necessarily but it was just kind of like yellow flags and like a ticking time bomb until I would have gotten back to that point and I really had to stop and, and hold myself accountable and realize like dude this is this is a part of you there's nothing to be ashamed about like we all have these things that we need to just own and like use them to empower ourselves, and like this isn't a final boss that you have to beat that then like you're gonna be able to move on and things like that and and in the last couple of months actually i've I've recommitted myself to to program, uh which feels really awesome. great, and I just like awesome. I'm walking around and I just feel so much lighter, and I just yeah. feel like so much yeah. kinder to myself, and that yeah. I'm just like loving myself and accepting myself more and and I can relate a lot too to what you were saying about wanting to help people and, and feeling like not even when you were well and we're in like no position to and I feel like I, I struggle a lot of times in my position as like one of the founders of Matt Happy and, and and the host of this show and like a huge mental health advocate and like really being the face of mental health for for what we're doing um mm-hmm. and have felt a lot of like imposter syndrome around it of like feeling like I'm not allowed to then feel sad or I really have to put up this front like I'm sober and I'm going to meetings every like and like all of these things and really be that guy. Um, And literally just like in the new year this last month, I've just been like, dude, like you don't have to be any of that. Like just kind of be yourself and and showing your flaws and like the cracks in your road. Like we'll just be able to inspire that many more people and like make you even more genuine. So thank you for sharing that.
0: I. Love that. And I, you know, I, I think one of the things I say all the time is, you know, you don't recover to utopia, you recover to life. And life is not sunshine, bunnies and rainbows every day. There's yeah. some some really bad days. And there's some, some amazing days too. And, you know, I so appreciate that. And, and the idea of can so relate to the imposter syndrome because you know i'm i do consider myself recovered from my eating disorder that's the word that i connect with and i just want to be very clear that there is no definition of of recovery for eating disorders for substance use like you know it's there's some people in in my field that believe in you're always be in recovery there's some people that believe in recovered people that are healed life beyond whatever whatever word works best for you absolutely Mm -hmm. um but, I, but very transparently with the pandemic, my anxiety came back full force. And I am really aware of all the privilege I sit with that I do have access to care now that I, I can pick up the phone and get support at any minute of the day. And, yeah. you know, at first I was like, you know, you know, everyone around me was like, oh, I'm having a hard time. Like, I'm good. It's all good. And I was going to bed in tears afraid that I wasn't going to wake up in the morning because I was going to stop breathing until Mm. finally I shared in one of our virtual support groups, I'm having a really hard time. And I feel like I have to share that because sometimes, oftentimes when we share our vulnerabilities, we allow others into that space. We allow others to say me too. And that is my core. That is why I started the Alliance is because I wanted so badly to be in a space where people would say I hear you. I see you. And me too. And I'm not alone. And I will tell you when I started even being more honest, even around tables that you should never be honest around, like amongst, you know, board meetings where everyone's like, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And then I'd be like, I'm having a miserable time. And you have these super execs of these huge corporations that turned around and said, yeah, you know what? Me too. And And so I love that. I love that we don't have to show this polished highlight reel of ourselves to the world because when we show up in honesty and vulnerability, it welcomes and allows people to be there too. And that is so beautiful when we're able to meet each other on that level.
1: Yeah. Actually, I had written down uh, just recovery question mark because I was just genuinely curious like... What does, I mean, sobriety is not even the right word for eating disorders. What does recovery even look like in that space? Um, Obviously, we all have to eat food to live. um, So it's not something that you can really fully avoid, I imagine. And then I know... There seems to be a couple school of thought um, in terms of if you can actually recover fully or if we're always in recovery. And just to, I mean, to educate me and the rest of the listeners, yeah. uh, what does recovery look like in, in the eating disorder space?
0: Yeah, so for me personally, I, you know, I view recovery as when my eating disorder is not at the negotiating table or quite frankly, the dinner table anymore where, mm. you know, it's my eating disorder, when I was in my eating disorder, it was the first thing I thought of every morning, the last thing I thought of every night and every other thought in between. It's actually not at all for me anymore. And I want to just say, I mean, I talk about eating disorders all day, every day, but it's a different, it's like a different, different focus at this point. I'm at a point right now where, you know, I, I, I really have leaned into this idea of body neutrality where, you know, I, for me, like it's, I have this respect for, for my um, body. Do I love my body every day? Absolutely not. Because I'm also not a Martian. There's folks that, uh, mo- the majority of people that have never had eating disorders cannot say, I, I feel great in my skin every single day. But the difference is for what recovery is to me now is even in the days where I feel very uncomfortable, when I have like the ick moments where I look in the mirror and I don't feel comfortable, I don't punish myself anymore. I don't you know go back to bed. I don't not do life. I might put on something that feels more comfortable. I might not look in the mirror as much, but I still go on and do life. And you're 100% correct. There's this great analogy that I heard a long time ago, the difference between like substance use recovery and eating disorders. And, you know, they use the idea of, of this tiger. You know, when you're in substance use recovery, it's like you have to catch this tiger and put it in a cage and leave the cage in the corner, like you can't just make the the, the you know the, the tiger go away, but you don't really have to interact with that tiger anymore. Mm. With eating disorder recovery, you have to catch the tiger, put the tiger in the cage in the corner, but then you have to walk said tiger three to six times a day. So it's a different type of recovery and you have to couple it by the fact that we live in a very weight stigmatizing, you know, fat phobic um, diet cultured world where yeah. you can't go anywhere without people talking about what diet they're on, what cleanse that they're on, what they're doing. And there's a lot of focus. There's a lot of premium on body shape and size. And so in my words, and again, there's not a definition of recovery is I don't use idiosyncratic food rituals anymore. I don't abuse exercise anymore. Do I have anxiety? Yes. Yes. And I'm still working on healing my, my recovery from my generalized anxiety disorder. But my eating disorder is not something that I have to contend with anymore on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, I think at, uh, to me at the root of everything is the relationship with self. And that to me is like the great equalizer of anything that anyone is going through all comes from us. Either not liking something about ourselves, feeling insecure, feeling like we're stupid, and like you know our our biggest slogan here at Mad happy is like Treat yourself like someone you love and I really believe that that is just the key to to all of this is 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 building that relationship with yourself to where, like you said you are enough. And you know, at the end of the day, as, as, as big as our support system can be, like we go to sleep and it's just our head on that pillow and we're just alone with ourselves. And like, we spend, we'll spend the most time with ourselves than anyone else. And like, I feel like people don't often think about building up that relationship as much as they do professional or romantic relationships, family and, and things like that. So to me, that's, that's really what's at the root of all this. And uh, to fast forward a bit on your journey, you finished school, I imagine. Uh, what was the initial inspiration and kind of motivation uh, to start the Alliance back in 2000, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was getting ready to go to, to, to graduate school, I had gotten into into a PhD program. And I had this moment where I really wanted more than anything to be able to talk to that seventh grade version of, of me who felt like she didn't deserve to exist, take up space, be seen. And so You know, I I, I asked my uh, parents, I said, so I have this crazy idea. And and at this point, my my poor family was like, all right, what now? And I said, I really want to start a nonprofit and I want to do eating disorder awareness. And at the time, there were very few people that were talking about it. And, you know, I'm so grateful for, you know, being 21 at the time and being very not afraid, to be honest with you, like, and being so damn stubborn. Um, I've, I've I've really sort of tried to reframe that word to tenacious because you know stubborn has such negative connotations in our world, and so you know I took out a loan, a college loan, and I I actually used FAFSA money to start the alliance. Please, like, don't commit me for saying that. And um, you know I moved back home and I filed the paperwork to start the alliance. And I I remember my amazing uncle, um, you know, had an extra office space. And he's like, you can come and work out of here. And I remember it was like January 2nd and I had this organization and I remember looking out the window and I'm like, okay, now what? Like, how does one start a nonprofit? How does one do anything? And you know what? I, I also I also failed a speech class because I hated talking in front of people. And I, <laughs> none of this really came to the forefront when I was, you know, planning this out. Oh, of course. But what, what was really the tenacity in you. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, it's gotten me into some great positions and really not good positions either. But I was actually talking to someone a few weeks ago on on a on a, another interview that I that I had de- that I did, and she's like, Joanna, your experience really gave you the blueprint to start the alliance, and that is exactly what happened because mm. in my struggle, there was three specific things that really stood out and on top of obviously not getting access to care but the fact that I had gone to my doctors numerous times over my my struggle and no one ever diagnosed me with an eating disorder um, so that was huge so my really my love to educate you know frontline responders doctors nurses dentists on what to look for because even though one in nine Americans will experience an eating disorder in their lifetime, less than 20% of all healthcare providers are given any education on eating disorders. And so that was really one of, one of the things I wanted to do. The other thing was, where do you turn to? You know, for me, I was like, I went to a lot of bad therapists before I found someone who actually worked um, with eating disorders. So creating a referral system so that people could call, people could go online and find really good help. And the last piece was, you know, and I think the biggest for me was being in a space where I didn't feel so alone. Because when you're experiencing depression, anxiety, eating disorder, substance use, you already feel so alone. And what I wanted. And very honestly, I found a lot of my recovery in 12-step rooms because there weren't eating disorder rooms for me to go to. And so I went Mm. to AA meetings, I went to NA meetings. And even though they're not the same, for me, there was so much importance in a fellowship and being in a space where there was you know, this brotherhood, sisterhood, this idea that you're not alone. And so that really was the impetus for me to start our support groups.
1: That's amazing. Um, I feel like all the best things have to come from that lived experience and and have that motivation i mean when we started mad happy um you know we didn't have this master plan for like what we wanted to do on on the mental health side but the name was really born out of a time where i was super depressed and i had thought of this word and it felt very powerful and and all-encompassing and and allowed me to feel okay about this downtime was in and and thinking about valuing it in the same way that you were talking about not every day is going to be great. And that's totally okay. You know, that that's kind of what mad happy means to us is like the ups and downs and and everything in between and like learning to value them the same. And even in the last few years, as, as our brand has really grown, and, you know, we've had amazing things happen for us with celebrities wearing the brand and awesome collaborations and things like that, I really do finding find myself keep coming back to the people that were helping through the local optimist and through the podcast and on different panels that I've spoken on and, and just hearing one person really say that you changed how I view mental health and you made me talk to my family and my friends and all these things like those things mean the world to me. And and even this episode that we're doing right now, let's say that that inspires just one kid out there to maybe recognize something in themselves that they didn't before. Um, it would it would all be worth it um another thing that you were talking about obviously that that struck me was eating disorders are significantly like underdiagnosed it seems i was thinking for myself like i've never struggled with an eating disorder and then i like caught myself and i was what, like wait how how do you even know like i wouldn't even know if i have been struggling with that or how to identify it what are kind of the signs and if anyone is listening um who isn't sure or might think about it sometimes? Uh, how can people kind of check in with themselves to know what might be going on for them?
0: Yeah, I love that question. And I, I think I would actually start by by saying that, you know, eating disorders really do not discriminate. They don't discriminate from age, gender, race, class, um, you know, sexual orientation, ability, neurodiversity, body shape and size. I think that, you know, so often we think about who has this eating disorder and it's a Oftentimes, it's an archaic stereotype of someone who's young female identifying typically Caucasian from a middle to upper class family when we know that that's actually really not the truth. And so often, it's the stereotype that is one of the biggest barriers to care. And I I mean... From just yourself, but also as opposed, like in in, in regards to healthcare, like if someone's male-identifying, then immediately it's like, well, you can't have an eating disorder because right. you know eating disorders affect women. Not true. They affect everyone, and in fact, up to forty percent of individuals that will have an eating disorder are male-identifying. So, as far as like looking at the signs and symptoms, you know, definitely we know that eating disorders never exist alone. They're never in that proverbial car by themselves. There's typically Anxiety first and foremost, or depression. Um, you know, OCD, substance use, definitely trauma. Trauma with post-traumatic stress disorder specifically. Um, but if you know you're becoming very hyper vigilant about what you're eating, how you're eating, if you have, if you're noticing that you're starting to, you know, have a lot of obsessions and compulsions around I have to exercise which is a big one right we live in a world where exercise is fantastic it's great to move your body but taking a look at the intention behind it why are you doing it what happens if you can't can you go a day without exercising and if you can't what happens are you starting to cut out certain food groups are you finding that you know, you're avoiding certain foods or you find yourself binging on certain foods. Um, you know, so all of these are are, mm-hmm. are different, um, different sort of signs to be looking for.
1: Yeah, I think the uh, the gender thing that you bring up is so important because I think growing up, that wasn't something I ever thought about. That wasn't something me and my friends ever spoke about. And probably growing up, didn't even think that it was possible, like you said, for for guys to really struggle with this and it's all about like playing and exercising and eating and like all of these things and it and it never even crosses my mind and I think as someone who has a lot of seats in my car filled with those other things that you were talking about it really forces me to sit down and and think about what my relationship is with these things and like what is driving my relationship with them obviously diet culture and, and getting physical activity and, and health and wellness and all those other things that you talk about are, are so prevalent everywhere we look, from whether they're billboards driving our cars to ads that we're seeing on, on social media, on our phone, it seems pretty pretty unavoidable. Um, I'm curious for you, like we talk about the impact of social media a lot on mental health and and me and and my co-host payment actually kind of differ a little bit. And like, he kind of sees it more through the lens of like bringing people together and we're so thankful for it. It's like, it's allowed our brand to grow and, and can connect people all over the world. And I've had some kind of more negative experiences with it in terms of comparison and showing the highlights. Like you were talking about, I'm curious how you think social media has kind of impacted the prevalence of eating disorders and kind of the struggle to maybe recover from them as well.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I think that my answer would be a combination of the both. Um, this is where <laughs> this is where there's that dialectic, right? Like two things can exist at the same time. There's so much that I'm grateful for for social media. As far as even like during the pandemic, it was beautiful. There were there were Instagram channels that literally there was round the clock meal support of individuals from across the globe that could no matter what time it was there was a dietitian or clinician that was on there doing meal support. So on that absolutely yeah. it was great. And but we know factually especially with the whole like Facebook files that just came out, right? Like all the surveys that that you know social media absolutely has huge ramifications on body image, on disordered eating and eating disorders. So we actually have the data there to show that it has negative implications. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, and we as an organization had to take a step back and say, well, how do we feel about this? And, And I am very, very cognizant of the fact that so many people know about our services because of social media. So very similar, right? Like people know about brand recognition. I'm so grateful that people feel a little bit less alone in the ideas in the guise of recovery of support. But I'm also very aware that you know overconsumption of these unrealistic ideals really wreak havoc on sense of self. Right? We know that there's there's an actual phenomenon called Facebook depression. We know that there mm-hmm. is a phenomenon of like you know body image like takes a nosedive. And so I think for for me, where I sit is I just really hope that now that we have so much more evidence and research and data that the social channels will do better. They really will do more. Um, but it's also up to us to become educated consumers of media at the same time too, is knowing that we have immense power at our fingertips mm-hmm. where we can report things. You know, I, Our community it gets up in arms every December 31st at 11.59 PM, because we know Jan 1 midnight, all of a sudden you're going to be inundated with crazy amounts of diet ads, right? Like new year, new you, lose this, lose that, better this. And I'm all about, you know, reminding our community that they can take control back. They can take their power back by every time they see a diet ad come up on their social, they can report it because- algorithms for good or for bad they do learn what you like what you don't like and after a while they will stop sending you those things mm-hmm. being aware that they can unfollow people be aware that you know if you have influencers or brands or celebs or companies that you love but maybe the first third of the year they tend to go into this like that this diet centric model unfollow them mute them just for a little bit and then go back um, so truthfully we know that it definitely does does affect there is a high correlation between overconsumption of social media and the emergence of eating disorders but i also want to be aware of the fact that it's a connector
1: yeah yeah no it's 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 absolutely a blessing and a curse um we started this company i mean almost five years ago now and i think it's been amazing for us to see how far like the mental health conversation has come um and how many more People and brands are, are really talking about it and it's become such a big part of not only the national, but really the global conversation with the Alliance being over 20 years old. You know, I'm, I'm curious how you've seen the space change um, for you and kind of what your hopes are for it for the future and, and kind of where you feel like it's headed.
0: Yeah, it's been so beautiful to watch um, mental health get the awareness and the space that it needs and deserves. I think that we're getting there with eating disorders. I think we're we're sort of in the back of that conversation. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've had I had someone say this to me, and, and please, no, no offense to anyone who has red hair. So I'm just going to say that is that you know mental health is always considered the redheaded stepchild of health, and eating disorders is the redheaded stepchild of mental health. Mm. Um, and so, really, 20 years ago, no one would ever say the word eating disorders out loud. Um, yeah. To this day, there's still a lot of shame and stigma, which again is such a huge barrier to people feeling that they can reach out for help or access care. I think we're getting there, and something that has been very important to me, specifically as the National Alliance for Eating Disorders, is ensuring that eating disorders are part of the mental health conversation. And so, even this past Mental Health Awareness Month, I know that that you all were part of a lot of the things we were as well. Is I, we just kept on raising our hand and saying, why are eating disorders not at this table? And they're like, well, are eating disorders mental health disorders? And the answer is yes, of course. It's actually serious mental illness. But I think it's just going to take a little bit more more advocacy, awareness, education to say we belong at this table too. In fact, it's necessary that we're at this table.
1: No, 100%. I think to your point, I was even pretty naive honestly in the last couple years to how prevalent it really was and and when we started to tap in with our community and see the people that they were following and 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 things that they were really going through and like what they wanted to hear from us like eating disorders and body stuff like that was at the top of the list for really everyone and as soon as we realized that you know we have made a big effort uh to really make that a part of our content strategy and like what we're talking about and everything that we want to stand up for and really seeing that it is absolutely at the table with mental health and and really want to show up for it in a positive way as i mentioned like putting out content every month on the local optimist um about it so giving people the opportunity to share their stories about it talking to other people in the space who have overcome or who are on their road to recovery of overcoming um, and then getting to work with amazing people and and amazing organizations like yourself. Um, I have one question that we got from one of our supporters on Local Optimist, which I thought was great. And they were wondering, what's the best way to talk to a friend or a family member who you think might be struggling with ED?
0: Yeah, this can be some of the hardest conversations that, that, that you could have. I think you know, we're so often, we're so afraid to say the wrong thing. So we don't say anything at all. We're afraid to hurt their feelings. We're afraid to, that they're going to get mad at us. I will tell you, they most likely will get mad at you. And I will just say that. So prepare, go in with just you and, and that and that person. Don't make it like an intervention. It's just you and, 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 that, and that other human who you're concerned about. Make sure you use I statements. I'm worried about you. I care about you. One of the things that that I think shocks people a lot is that, you know, people think eating disorders, they typically think someone who's grossly underweight, very, very underweight. However, only 6% of all individuals with eating disorders are actually medically underweight. So most people with eating disorders live in average to higher weight bodies. So I would say, be careful with the, you know, you look really thin or you look really whatever. um, Remark more about their about their, their temperament. You know, I've noticed that you've been very withdrawn. I've noticed that, you know, we don't see you anymore, that, you know, every time we, we plan to go out to eat, you never join us. And I'm really concerned and I'm really, really, um, I, I really want you to know that I love you and I'm here for you. Mm. If you know that they have an eating disorder, I would also add, because this is the thing I wish people said to me is, I'm really sorry that this is happening to you. I'm really sorry that that, that, that this mm. is what you're going through because so often there's that, why are you doing this to yourself when in actuality, it's not a disorder of choice. And if you can validate, I'm really sorry you're going through this and I'm here to walk next to you. I'm here to, to love and support you. That's the game changer.
1: That's absolutely right. I think, uh, again, similar to when talking about people or loved ones who you think might be depressed or struggling with addiction and things like that to really speak in I statements like you said come to them out of, from a place of concern um, and care and yeah I'm glad I'm glad that someone asked that question though because I think that's important and a lot of times people are just too scared or like you said they don't want to say the wrong thing and you wait or it's never a good time and all of these things but I think just coming from a place of love like that and just starting the conversation um, is super important. Before we let you go, I wanted to take a few minutes on uh, talking about the Not One More event um, in late February. Uh, We're partnering up with you guys. I know a lot of other amazing brands and organizations um, and sponsors are a part of it. Uh, We're going to be creating some really awesome resources uh, that we'll be sharing next month. Um, And curious if you could just tell us a little bit what the event is, uh, where can people find it and, and what to expect?
0: Yeah. And I am so grateful and thank you again for just all of your support and being you know, so involved with Not One More. So Not One More is our annual global weekend. It's the last weekend of February and the last week of February is Eating Disorders Awareness Week. And it is a three-day virtual event that really is built on the pillars of our organization, which is help, support, and recovery. And I really want to share a little bit about what Not One More means is You know, several years ago, I was actually in the midst of hiring someone and I was in the interview process and there was a family that I had been working with and their young son, um, ended up passing away from, from his eating disorder. And someone came in and shared that with me during the, during the this interview process, we were in between candidates. And I looked at, at some of my colleagues and I said, not one more, like not one more, not one more Like child being stolen, not one more minute being taken away. And so this is like that concept and it's really become like our battle cry at the office. Mm. The work we do is so that not one more individual has to lose a minute to this insidious disease. Um, And so on Friday, February 25th, it's our National Day of Help. We're encouraging people to reach out for help and know that they're not alone and that there's help and resources um, to walk to help walk them into their journey of recovery. On Saturday, February 26th, it's our National Day of Support, and we have a 16-hour support group marathon from 8 a.m. to midnight. Every hour on the hour is a free therapist-led support group, and I will share this with you, is that... My best friend is sober um, from drugs and alcohol for 16 years and no matter where he is in this world, he can fall into a meeting. And mm. I hope that one day that eating disorders have that. So so our, our day of support is just like a little microcosm of what we hope to do at some point um, down the line. And on Sunday, February 27th is our National Day of Recovery, um, which ends with our rally for recovery. And we are thrilled... Um, to have the fabulous Demi Lovato as our, as our main speaker. They are receiving the Global Changemaker Award. We also have amazing conversations about eating disorders do not discriminate. Um, we have Asia Mayrock that, that wrote a brand new piece of, of art for us. Um, members of Congress, Assistant Secretary, Admiral Rachel Levine is speaking. So a really wonderful event of just hope, inspiration, um, and yeah, great fundraising opportunities. And for folks that raise a certain amount, they get a amazing, amazing gift from Matt happy. So you can find out all about everything at not amazing.
1: Well, uh, we'll be sure to link that in the show notes. And again, we're so happy and grateful to be a part of it. Um, uh, and it's truly going to be special. Um, we ask two questions to all of our guests before we end every episode, uh, that I'll give you as well. The first is, if you could nominate someone to come on our show who's had a very powerful mental health story or someone who's been an inspiration to you, you don't have to know them, who would you nominate?
0: I would, without a doubt, nominate um, my amazing colleague um, and partner in change, uh, McCall Dempsey. She's someone who's also overcome an eating disorder, but has overcome so much more than, than just that. Um, she gave birth to her baby girl when she was 26 weeks pregnant, when her daughter was a little over a year, developed cancer, and is just, I mean, is my inspiration, and I wow. am so lucky to work alongside her at the Alliance.
1: Yeah, wow. That sounds like an incredible story. Um, and lastly, Joanna, what makes you mad happy?
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, the Alliance, without a doubt, um, it is some of my... My best moments and my really not great moments, you know, my daughter, Annabelle, makes me mad happy um, <laughs> she is you know I was told for over twenty years that I wouldn't be able to have kids because of the effects of my eating disorder, and mm. she's my little miracle, and yeah. she makes me feel all the feels is all I can say, you know um it's the best thing I i've done besides my eating disorder and it's also the scariest thing and most infuriating thing in all the fields. <laughs> so um and being able to do the work that i do yeah, yeah yeah well
1: thank you so much for coming on again i mean you're a huge inspiration for us and thousands if not millions of people worldwide really appreciate all your work not only in the eating disorder space but also as a mental health advocate um, and someone who really believes in that cause as well so appreciate the time
0: thank you so much
1: thank you guys so much for listening uh remember this weekend coming up is the not one more event that the alliance and joanna are hosting uh which local optimist and matt happy are a part of so check that out all the info will be in the show notes uh we also want to remind everyone and ourselves that mental health is an ongoing process and is something that takes daily work. For more information, you can always find us at localoptimist.com slash podcasts. Thanks again for listening and hope you guys have a lovely weekend. Peace. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.